You see, we're in this series called Jesus in Between, and you can go online and listen to the past sermons, and I'd encourage you to do that. But, but simply what we've been saying is this, is that most people know about holiday Jesus. Like they know about Christmas Jesus. A lot of people know the story of Christmas Jesus. Most people know about the details of that story. And then they know holiday Jesus, Easter Jesus. Most people can tell you at least the big uh, details of Easter Jesus. But what we've been saying for this series through the summer is there is a whole lot of Jesus in between. And that whole lot of Jesus in between is really, really important. And, and I would even say this, it's not just really, really important, but it's extremely fascinating because Jesus does and says some things that are worth us leaning into that helps fill in the color of who Jesus is, what he was about. And today, as we open up into Mark chapter 10, here's what's going on. And then I want to jump right in because it's so important. Today's going to feel a little different. All right, if you've been coming here for some length of time, uh, I'm gonna do some things in in the sermon today that are a little different than you're used to. You all right with that? I don't really care if you are. I'm I'm gonna do it anyways, okay? I'm just gonna say, I'm warning, okay? But, but, But Jesus, by the time we get to Mark chapter 10, is really, really popular. Like, like he's teaching, he's preaching, he's doing some incredible things. Like everybody wants to hear Jesus, right? Uh, everybody wants to get near Jesus. I mean, he's a healer, right? I mean, this guy can do things we've never seen before. Uh, this guy has saying things we've never heard before. Jesus is really, really popular. He's doing some really important things. He's saying some extremely important things, which leads to Mark chapter 10. Because if you have your Bibles open, in the middle of saying some important things, doing some important things, being a really, really important person. Here's what it says, verse 13. In the middle of that, people and most commentators, that's scholars who write about the Bible, would take that to mean parents and guardians. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. Now, now just stop with me for a second. Let's get our bearings. Jesus is preaching and teaching and doing some really revolutionary things. I mean, Jesus has got an important agenda. In the middle of that, these parents come with their kids and they got great expectations. And they're bringing their little kids. The book of Mark uses a Greek word. You can forget this. That means little children. If you look at this in the book of Luke, he decides to use a Greek word that means babies. Whatever the case, these are little children and parents are lined up. Are you with me? They're lined up. They want to bring their kids to Jesus so that he can place his hands on them so that he can say a prayer. There's some precedence of this, of blessing. So they're bringing their kids saying, Jesus, will you pray over, pray with, bless my kid. And by the way, can we get a selfie too? You know, I don't know what they were saying, but, but they want their kids to somehow get to Jesus And then look at what happens. The people are bringing their children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples, everybody say that next word out loud, rebuked them. I can't overstate, I cannot overstate the intensity of that word rebuked. It means this, these parents are bringing their kids to Jesus and the disciples, here's what the word means, reprimand them. They say, y'all need to take your kids, go back home. Because Jesus has some really important things he's doing. Now, for us, that's a little strange, right? 
But, but in their culture, in their culture, this is, this is interesting, in their culture, in this Roman culture, so the book of Mark is written to a Roman culture, here's the deal. Children were at the very bottom of the ladder. Children many times were seen as throwaway individuals. Children were minimized in that culture. In fact, in fact, little girls were even more so minimized in that culture. And so what these guys are saying is this, hey, listen, I want you to know something. Jesus is a big deal. He's got big things going on. He's got important, life-changing, revolutionary things going on right now. Y'all need to take your kids and go home because he's busy. What's interesting to me is the disciples become not a bridge to Jesus, but a barrier. What's interesting to me is that the very followers of Jesus, these disciples of Jesus, become the very ones who prevent people, namely kids in this passage, from getting to the Jesus they follow. Which leads to the next part of the passage. Are you with me? Uh, That's a good time to answer back. Are you with me? Here's what it says. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. The disciples rebuked them, verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was, say that word out loud, indignant. I cannot overstate the meaning of that word. Only time used in the New Testament, it means to be much grieved. Here's what you need to know. Jesus is ticked off. That's what it means. He's angry. He's angry when he sees them somehow telling these parents to get their kids and get away. And he says this in response, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. He said, don't you dare stop them. Don't hinder them. Now everybody look here a second because I've heard this passage preached a gazillion times. Maybe you have too. And a lot of times the teacher and or the preacher, this is where they stop. They stop right here because they stop and the lesson to be learned is this. Parents wanted a blessing for their kids. The disciples got in trouble. Jesus reprimanded the disciples and then Jesus was really, really nice to kids. And so the application is go be really, really nice to kids. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, that's a a pretty good application, right? Is it true that Jesus was wonderfully nice to kids? Yes or no? Is that true? Uh, That's terrible. Is it true that Jesus was wonderfully nice to kids? Yes or no? Yeah. And so a great application is to say, go be wonderfully nice to children, right? In fact, let me just say this. This isn't the purpose of my sermon today, but, but I would say this. I think it is a great application, and I think the way somebody treats a child tells you an awful lot about that person. Personally, I think that. Like, like, I believe that so much that a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times when I would interview somebody to be on our team, our staff, when I was in Indiana, I would invite them to my home when my kids were little, and I'd want my kids to come ripping and tearing through the room because I wanted to see how that person interacted with my kids. Now, the, the person that I was interviewing didn't know that. But, but, but it told me something about them. If they ignored them, dismissed them, act irritated by them, I'm like, it told me something, right? Because I think Jesus was wonderfully nice to kids. And I think a great thing about somebody is when they're wonderfully nice to kids, when they talk to them, when they get down on their level. But the question today is this, whereas that might be true, is that all that's going on? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this incident. 
And the question is this, is the only reason they recorded this is because they wanted us to know and God wants us to know that Jesus was wonderfully nice to kids and we ought to be wonderfully nice to kids? And the answer is unequivocally no. And the reason we know that is because of what it says next. He said, don't you hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He said, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive, everybody lean in. I want to read that again. Verse 15. This is so, so heavy. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Can we just say this? Jesus really quickly goes, bam. And he makes it really, really clear, really, really quick that this is not simply a be nice to kids sermon. Like he makes it really clear that there is way more going on here. In fact, I think there's three things for today, okay? Three things. Here's where we're gonna go. I think in this passage, there's something that instructs all of us in this room. And I'm gonna show you that in a second. So I think there's something we all gotta know. No matter who we are, it, it leans into all of us. Then, then second, I think this little passage, this little, little story, I think in here, there's something that informs us of a really difficult question that some of you have asked me. A really difficult question. So I think it instructs all of us, it informs us about a really difficult question. And then third, I think there's something in this passage that inspires all of us. It ought to inspire all of us. Let's start with instruction. I want you to write this down. This story, I want you to write the whole thing down, instructs us that we only receive the blessing of salvation by becoming like a child. The words Jesus used is so poignant, right? He says, you will never enter the kingdom unless you receive like a little child. Like he doesn't mince words. He's like, you will not receive the blessing. He's talking about salvation. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is king. He's ruling. And what he's saying is, you will never receive the blessing of the king unless you become like a little child. Can we just answer a quick question? Because I've heard this taught and preached and I think we can get all collywonkered on it. Here's the question. Does that simply mean I gotta become like a little child? Does that mean that I gotta become cute, cuddly, and innocent like a little child. Is that what that means? Now that's interesting, right? Because can we just say this? Little kids are cute and cuddly. Can I get somebody to agree with that? Yeah, and, and some of y'all could work on that a little bit, I'm just gonna say, but, but, but little kids are cute and cuddly. Everybody lean in. But little kids are anything but innocent. Any parents wanna say amen? Yeah, and if, and if you don't know to say amen to that, you ain't had kids. <laughs> They, they come into the world selfish. Like, like my grandson is the coolest little kid ever existed, right? I mean, to me right now. But, but he was at our house, I think it was yesterday, and he wants what he wants when he wants it. He can care less what I'm doing. He can care less what I want. They want what they want when they want it. They come in thinking about them, just wanting what they want. But then they become toddlers. Anybody with me? And they learn two key words that show me they're anything but innocent. They learn the word no. Anybody with me on that? 
Time to go to bed. No. Time to eat. No. Get inside. No. Right? They learn. I don't know who teaches them that, but they learn the word no. And then they learn the word mine. In fact, Pastor Jonathan sent me this. It's fascinating. He and I are preaching the same sermon. He's over Barberton right now. He sent me this. I don't know where he found it. It's awesome, right? It's like the, the Ten Commandments of, of toddlers for, for owning property. I don't know. That's kind of weird, right? But the Ten Commandments. Here's the way it goes. See, if, if any of you got toddlers, you're like, oh, I recognize that. Here's the way it goes. A toddler says this. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's still, you know what I'm going, right? If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, then it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're using something and you put it down, it automatically becomes, if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> I love that, right? Like, like little, little kids are anything but innocent, right? So, so, so what's, we got to get serious about this because what I'm getting ready to show you in this passage, it's not just about Jesus being nice to cute, cuddly little kids. I want you to hear what it applies to every last one of us in this room. What he's saying is this, and I want you to write it down, that only the weak, only the humble, and only the helpless can receive the blessing of salvation. That's what he's saying. Like little children, they are small. Little children are helpless. They can't help themselves. Little children, they don't even have voting rights. They have no power, right? Little children are weak and humble and helpless, Little children, they haven't lived long enough to build a resume for you and I to be impressed with. And only when I recognize that I'm weak, only when I come humbly, and only when I realize I'm helpless. Listen, listen, listen. Some of you grew up in church need to hear what I'm gonna say. Only then can I receive the blessing of salvation. In fact, he goes as far as says, it belongs to such as these, only when I receive like a little child, can I receive the blessing? If I don't receive it that way, he said, I'll never enter it. Like when Jesus says that, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna pay attention. He's like, the only way for me to receive the blessing of salvation is to realize I got nothing I'm bringing to him. I don't got an impressive resume. I can't help myself. I can't get out of this. It's only when I humble myself, broken before God, and realize I need his grace. And, and here's the deal. The significance of the blessing comes in the one who's giving it, not in the one who's receiving it. It's not like I'm coming, so I deserve this, which leads to the second thing Jesus is saying. I want you to write this down. Jesus is saying this that the blessing of salvation is not achieved, it's only received. Salvation is not a right that I can claim. Salvation is not a reward that I win, it's not even a wage that I earn. Salvation is a gift that we receive. Romans 6.23 says it this way, for the wages, this is what I've earned, of sin is death. But the gift, what I receive, don't deserve, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What, please hear me. 
What, what Jesus is teaching here is that only those who become like little children can receive the gift of salvation. And it is a gift to be received. Can we just say this? Like I, I realize everybody's got an exception and, and usually after a sermon, somebody comes and tells me that exception. But, but for the most part, for the most part, everybody say that with me, for the most part, okay? Just so if you want to say something to me afterwards, right? For the most part, kids are way better at receiving gifts than adults. Come on, you know it's true. I have, my kids, like, like, like when I've given them gifts at Christmas, they've never said, oh, no, 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 dad. You know, that's way too many, you know? <laughs> like, like, I've never had that happen, right? I, I've never had my kids, when I've tried to give them something, whether it's Christmas, I say, hey, I want to give, oh, hey, how, you know, how much can I pay you for that? They've never done that, right? They, they like receive, they get like, oh, wow. I mean, kids are great at receiving gifts, right? Not all adults are good at receiving gifts. You have somebody like that in your life? Don't look at them. You have somebody like that? Yeah. Uh, my kids would probably say, I'm not great at it, Right? You know why? Because I'm like, oh, no, no, no. You know, my kids want to give me, what do you need for that, man? How much did you pay for it, right? Because somehow the way we think in our adult brain is, well, I got to pay for it, right? I got to deserve it. Let me cover that. And what Jesus is saying, don't miss this. It is so, so important. The only way you'll receive salvation is to think like a little kid that receives a gift. I didn't do anything, but that gift's for me? Because you bought it, I'll take it. See, a lot of us think like an adult. Like we come to Jesus and we're like, well, I don't know, man, you know, but maybe there's some things I can do or maybe there's some things you'd be impressed by and we'll never experience the blessing. You see, for some of us in this room, now I'm gonna do something that's gonna be a little different. For some of us in this room, we've never received that gift. Everybody look here a second. I wanna talk to you. You've never received that. You're here. Maybe somebody drug you here. I don't know. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, but you've never received it. And here's what Jesus is saying to you today. If you don't hear anything else I say the rest of the day, he said, I, there's a gift. I died on the cross so that you could have this gift. And the gift that I died to give you is the gift of forgiveness of your sins you get the chance to be a part of my family and you can have eternal life forever. That's the gift and it's a gift to be received. And so I'm gonna ask you across the room, everybody wants you to bow your heads with me. We're gonna pray. I'm not done preaching, but we're gonna pray. Everybody across the room. Because God, as we pray, I know there's some in this room that have never received that gift. And, and if that's you, I want you right now in your heart to pray. Because this is your chance to simply say, God, I know you love me. And I got nothing that will impress you. I got no resume. I got nothing. I'm humbly coming, helpless and weak, believing that Jesus died for me in my place. And today I'm saying, yes, I want to receive the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of being a part of your family, the gift of eternal life. I want to say yes to Jesus as my Savior. And I want to spend the rest of my life saying yes to Jesus as the leader of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you in this room very well may have just prayed that with me. And I'd love to hear from you somehow because Jesus says this, you cannot, you will never enter the kingdom unless you receive that gift like a little child. But I think there's more going on here. I actually think this passage instructs us, but I think it may inform us on a really difficult question. 
that some of you are wrestling with, have wrestled with, or you know somebody who is. Here's how I want you to write it down. I think this story informs us about what happens to babies that die. I get asked this a lot, unfortunately, uh, because it happens. And I get asked, what happens to a child that dies young? What happens if a child dies before they understand this whole story of Jesus, before they say yes to Jesus? Dan, I've heard you say the only way for me to be forgiven and enter the family of God is to say yes to Jesus. Well, what in the world happens to a child who dies before they understand all that, before they even have the ability to say yes to Jesus? I don't know what your experience has been, but I've been a pastor 26 years and I can tell you there is nothing that I've experienced, nothing quite like standing with a family over a miniature casket. And I'm just, I've been in a lot of bad situations, but to stand with a family over a miniature casket where there's a baby or a toddler, I mean, there are no words. Like there's no words. And yet somehow, I think this passage may inform us about some things that are really, really important. Some of these may be worthwhile writing down. And then I'm gonna recommend a book for you to check out. First, I think this passage tells me this, and I do want you to write this down, that all children matter to God. All children matter to God. Jesus is God with skin on. And so I think this passage tells me that all children, all children matter to God. Now I'm gonna say something that's a different sermon, but I'm gonna say it because it's worth saying. Even unborn children matter to God, okay? Even unborn children matter to God. Now here's the deal. When I look at this passage, it tells me something about little children, babies, who maybe die and never have the opportunity to understand, to believe, Jesus in the scriptures never blesses people who are cursed. And yet in this passage, he is blessing these infants and toddlers. I think it's a radical picture of his grace. I think it's a radical picture of his grace. And I think that's why this story, we won't go too deep into this, why this story is juxtaposed. It's right against the story that's next to it which is of a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, hey, he kind of comes, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus has a conversation with him. And I think the reason those two things are smashed together is because these children who have absolutely nothing, they can do nothing. They have nothing to offer. Jesus is like, hey, come. And he's blessing, he's holding. And yet he has a drastically different conversation with this guy who thinks somehow I can do something. It's a radical picture of grace. Jesus says in this passage, lean in, that the kingdom belongs to such as these. There is no mention of the parents' faith. Jesus never says, well, the kids who have parents that go to church and their followers, they're in. He doesn't say that. There is no mention of, well, the kids that have been baptized, they're in. In fact, there's no mention of any of that. What Jesus says is the kingdom belongs to such as these. There's a guy who's written a book about this. I think it is worth reading. Now, anytime I recommend an author, I've never, just please hear me because I get some questions about this. I'm not saying I agree with everything they write because this guy's writing a lot of books. So just, can I just say that disclaimer? But I think this is good. 
His name is John MacArthur. And this is what he wrote. He says, what we're saying here is that babies, when they're babies, before they reach a point in time when before God, they become accountable for believing or not believing, they're under a special divine care. That babies are under this divine care because they're at an age where they're not held accountable for believing or not believing. He wrote a wonderful book. I've had people after the first service, so I'm gonna take the time and do it. He wrote a wonderful book called Safe in the Arms of God. You ought to write it down, check it out. It's worth the read. It's worth the read. Some of you have family members that are going through this. I I met a a lady after first gathering. I don't know all your stories. She said, hey, I have a relative who's pregnant and they already know the baby will die when it's born. Like the doctors have already told her, you're gonna deliver and the baby's gonna die. Some of you have family members like this. Not only do I think this story helps me, but I think there's a precedence or maybe a picture in the Old Testament and then we'll run on to the last point. But in the Old Testament, there's a guy named David. You might have heard of him. He's King David. And King David, King David, uh, he committed an egregious sin, the sin of adultery. And then he had the, 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 the wife's husband murdered, right? And, and there was a child, and that child was ill. And David, the whole time that child is ill, grieved. He wouldn't eat. He was inconsolable. In 2 Samuel 12, you can look at the screen, Here's what it says. Then on the seventh day, the child died. Eventually the child dies. And David's advisors, they're afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing is he gonna do when we tell him the child is dead? They're like, he's gonna be off the charts. When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he's dead. David got up and he surprised them. He got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, changed his clothes, went to the tabernacle, worshiped. After that, he returned to the palace and he was served food and he ate. His advisors were amazed. They're like, we don't understand. While the child was still living, you wept, refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you've stopped your mourning and are eating again. David said, verse 22, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live, but why should I fast when he's dead? This is interesting. Can I bring him back again? But I'll go to him one day. He cannot return to me. This is interesting to me, and somehow I think this passage that, that we're reading in Mark 10 along with 2 Samuel 12 helps inform me of a really difficult question that I get to ask a lot. And and here's what I know. I think all children matter to God. I think the only way for us to enter the kingdom is to become like a child and humbly receive the gift. But when I read this before a child comes to this age where they're accountable, and here's the question, I already can predict it. You're gonna ask me and I'm gonna answer it out loud. You're like, what's that age? And I don't think that age is a number. I honestly don't. I mean, I had three kids. They were all three so different. And they understood things at different, like, like I think when you begin to focus on a number, it's like maybe we're focusing on the wrong thing. I don't think it's a number. But what I do think this passage does is it brings comfort to some of you in this room who maybe have gone through this. It brings comfort or it gives you word of comfort to give to people who maybe are going through it, have gone through it. That somehow all children matter to God. And that somehow they're under a special divine care. I think this passage instructs us. 
I think it informs us, but here's where I want to spend the rest of our time and then we're done. I think this story ought to inspire us. And here's how I think it ought to inspire us. This story inspires us to do all we can to bring children to Jesus. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to stop preaching and I want to start talking. Okay, I just want to start talking for a second. I just want to talk to you. Because I think this passage, somehow if we leave here and we're not the same, if it doesn't inspire us, I think Jesus would somehow look at us and reprimand us. Because I think he's like, you missed the point. Like I think this, this passage and this story, this picture of Jesus ought to inspire us to walk out of here differently and see some things differently. And I think what it ought to inspire us to do is to do all we can to bring children to Jesus. Because here's the point. If children are the picture and the illustration of somebody who comes and receives the blessing of salvation, doesn't it stand to reason that there's no better time to share that story with somebody than when they are a child? Doesn't it stand to reason that you're never more like a child than when you're a child? Which makes some statistics all of a sudden make sense. And some of you that are educators, I'm looking at some of you, you're educators, I want you to know this. Because they're real and they're true and they're stark. 83%, you gotta write that down, 83% of people who follow Christ make that decision before the age of 13. 83%. A child forms their worldview by the time they're nine years of age. That means with a child, you have the opportunity to define truth and give them uh, some, some tools to begin to define a worldview. When many of you came to Christ as adults and you know, man, I had to reconstruct and refigure and redefine truth. And you know that. And I think you'd be the person who'd say, yes, I wish somebody had told me. I hear this all the time. I wish somebody had told me about this when I was a kid. Right? I just wish somebody had shared this with me. And so I think it inspires us. And I think it inspires different groups of us. All the parents in the room want you to look at me. All the parents. I think this passage ought to inspire us as parents. And here's how I think it ought to inspire us. I think as parents, my challenge to you would be this. Do all you can to bring your kids to Jesus. And I would say it this way, as early as possible. I think it is our greatest privilege and our highest priority as parents. We bring them to Jesus so that they will understand what it means to receive the blessing of Jesus. Everybody listen. So important for our culture. We bring them to Jesus so that they understand what it means to receive the blessing that Jesus offers. We don't bring them to Jesus to impress Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. You see, because here's the deal. Our culture, everybody leaning, I'm going to step on some toes. I already know that. Don't send any emails, but it's true. Our culture is way different than the one in Mark. Because in Mark, it was easy for them to ignore kids, throw away kids. We live in a different culture. And you know what the challenge is in our culture? We live in a culture that idolizes kids. And so even our kids that grow up, just our kids and have you seen and they got ribbons and trophies and our kids know this and this and this. And when we bring them to Jesus, here's the deal. They don't really understand. Why would I need that? I'm awesome. (laughs) 
stay with me. I'm not saying you sinner. You sinner, that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying parents, when we bring them to Jesus, somehow we bring them and help them understand the need for the blessing of salvation, the need for what Jesus did for them. We don't bring them to impress them. Sometimes we want everybody to be impressed with how awesome our kids are. And you know something? We get afraid when we're in situations like this if our kids don't act awesome. You know what I already know about your kids? Like I, we had a party at our house Friday night. I don't know, a bunch of kids there. And you can see parents like wanting their kids to be awesome, you know? And I already know their kids are little sinners. You know what I mean? It's like their kids, whatever. <laughs> I already know that. And so it doesn't surprise me when they act. I was like, well, okay, they act that way, right? It's like we, we bring them not to impress Jesus, but to receive the blessing. Why? Because they need a gift. I imagine, that my, my mind works kind of weird. I don't know, but I imagine these kids in Mark 10, when they become teenagers, going back through the photo album, looking at the selfies, which whatever they were looking at, and, and having a conversation with their parents. And, and, and they see themselves as babies sitting there. Jesus got them. And like their parents are saying, yeah, Jesus prayed over you and prayed this blessing on you. I imagine these teenage kids saying, hey, mommy, why did Jesus pray over me like that? Did I do something special? And the mommy saying, not really. I imagine that kid saying to dad, dad, you know, why would Jesus do that? Was, was I like a celebrity? <laughs> not really. Well, mom and dad, why would Jesus do that? Like, it's pretty awesome. Because he wanted to and he wanted to love you that way. And the kid looking at mom and dad saying, you mean it was kind of like a gift? You see, the fact of the matter is our kids need to know that there's a gift that they need, not a wage that they can earn. Parents, I want to talk to you for a second, then I want to pray with you. Parents, I want you to know this. You are the primary missionary in your child's life. You are the primary missionary in your child's life to point them to Jesus, to bring them to Jesus. Can I, just, can I just talk to you? I mean, I don't know if it's just me getting old or what, but I just want to talk to you because I feel like it's so, so crucial. I have so many conversations. Parents come in, and, and it's become faddish and, and I'm going to share some opinion. So what I'm getting ready to share, Paul did this in the, in the Word of God. I'm going to share opinion with you right now. So I'm not, this is not thus saith the Lord. I'm going to share opinion I have parents come to me and, and, and they'll say this. My kids, I don't, I, don't, I don't make them come to church with me. Oh, really? You know, like, how's come? You know, I'll just say that. Like, I'd love to meet your kids, you know. Yeah, I don't make them come because I don't want to force it on them. I want their faith to be their own. And so, you know, if they, they come to me and say, hey, can I go to church someday? I'm, I'll take them. I'm going to share some opinion with you. I think that is wildly crazy. I think that is wildly crazy. Can I just assure you of something? You cannot, you, you cannot, listen close, no matter what you do, you cannot nor will you ever be able to force your kid to be a Christian. That, that's impossible. It is spiritually impossible. But you know what Jesus does talk about? He said, this whole deal is like a garden what you can do is make sure you take care of the garden, you till the soil, and you sow good seed. 
Why would I not want my children to be in a place where they are literally being saturated with good seed? I can't make them become a Christian. I think it is wildly crazy. The things that we as parents will make sure we get our kids to. But somehow this becomes optional. You know, what's interesting is I get asked the question, well, how, Dan, then do we do that? And, and that's a good question. And if you're a parent in the room, let me just, this maybe is a workshop we can do down the road. Uh, but, but here's what I'd write down. Parents, every parent, listen. You, you want to know how to bring your kids to de- Jesus? Do what your kids like. What do your kids like? Here's the words. Show and tell. Every kid likes show and tell. Did you do show and tell in school? Or is that like old? Like I did. Well, we did show and tell in the mountains, all right? And here's the way it worked. If you had something that you wanted to show the rest of the class, you got a chance to hold it up. Here it is. And then you got to tell about it. Now, listen, I don't know how it worked in your class, but if you didn't have something, like, I want to be a part. Can I do show and tell? It's like, you don't have something to show? Nope, Danny, you don't have anything to talk about. Listen to me. Parents, you want to bring your kids to Jesus. Show them a life that loves Jesus and is following Jesus because they will sniff it out if you're telling them about something you don't have to show them. They'll sniff it out, I promise you. Show them a life that is, we have somebody in the worship, man, I won't mention his name, but it's fascinating. He told me this story and I actually got a chance to meet his child and talk a little about this. His child caught him reading his Bible every morning at the same time. And his child's like, I wonder if I can do that. Sure, let me buy you a Bible and show you how to do that. Show them and then tell them. And then tell them. Figure out how to tell them about the relationship you have with Jesus. Everybody listen, all the parents in the room. Here's the deal. I just sat with a dad Friday, okay? Don't load the clock because I'm gonna kill it, okay? I'm just, everybody with me? Don't look back at that clock. And somebody warned Sherry, I'm going to be done when I'm done. I'm going to pray three more times before I'm done, okay? Just so you know, okay? Dinner's going to be all right. Met with this guy Friday. We had this interesting conversation, and he was talking to me about his boy. Or his, I don't know, his boy or guy. I can't remember the kind. But, but anyways, he's talking to me, about, and he's like, I've told him what the rules of the house are. And it begs this question, do your children know more about the rules of your house or about the relationship you have with Jesus? Sometimes if our kids grow up just to know the rules and never know about who rules, you see how that works? All of a sudden, something gets missed. You see, what's interesting in, in, in this story, all the men in the room, whether you're a dad or not, listen, the verb, there's a verb in this passage that points to the people who brought their kids. They're carrying their kids. Everybody look this way. I'm going to teach you something. It's, it's kind of technical, but it's interesting to me. That verb is in the masculine. It's in, it, like verbs in Greek are either feminine or masculine. I read a guy that said this this last week. That masculine verb insinuates this is not a bunch of moms carrying their kids to Jesus. This is a bunch of dads making sure their kids get to Jesus. Wow. 
The statistics say this, that when a dad is serious about his relationship with Jesus, the percentages of their child somehow being passionate about and pursuing Jesus increases exponentially. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What an incredible privilege and opportunity. Here's what I'd love to have happen. All across this room, this is a little weird different. I realize if you are the parent of somebody who is 18 years or younger, I want you to stand. 18 years, don't be shy. 18 years old or younger, I want you to stand. Don't be shy. Some of you are like, I don't know. Do we have kids? <laughs> How old are they, right? Everybody stand. Now, now, those of you sitting, I want you to look around, find somebody close to you, because I'd love for you to look at them and ask them how you could be praying for them. Look around. We have some of you. I know some of you have little kids, older kids. I want you to know something. Your kids and the opportunity they have to live in your home is your greatest priority and privilege. And you are the primary missionary in their life to show them and to tell them about a gift they can receive from Jesus. I have such great admiration for some of you that might be single moms or maybe you do this thing alone. You need to know something. You are some of my heroes. Some of my heroes. Some of you are dads that do this alone. You're, You're some of my heroes. I admire you. All you dads in the room, I wanna look at you and say this. I know it's not cool and maybe nobody told us how to do this, but your children are taking some cues from you as we speak. And they are watching and they are listening. And even when you're not sure anything's getting through to them, they're listening. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pray for you before you sit down. I wanna pray for you. A prayer of commissioning because God here stands people that you have gifted with children and they're doing some hard things. Some of them are just trying to survive. Some of them have little kids. Some of them aren't sure what they're doing. Some of them have teenagers that are just everywhere. God, I pray for them for wisdom. I pray for them for grace. I pray that they would be faithful. I pray for courage and resilience. I pray for vision for their family and their children. I pray for a dependency on you to hear from you. I pray that you would help them to bring their kids to Jesus. God, I pray that you would equip and encourage and surround them Surround them with others who can encourage them and coach them and inspire them and and, and maybe even just pray for them. But God, I am so grateful that in this room, these parents are because they represent little lives that matter to you, that you decided to place in their homes. And so I'm praying, God, would you help them, equip them and release them to be the primary missionaries who would tell them about the glories of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You guys give these parents a big hand before they sit down. You guys can be seated. Not only, I think, does it say something to us parents, but I think it says something to us as a church. I want you to write this down. It says something to us as a church, and that's this, that we as a church need to do all we can to bring kids who come to this church to Jesus. I'll be quick about this, but one of our eight values as a church is simply this. We are fully committed to kids and students. 
we are fully committed to kids and students. Everybody say that out loud with me. We are fully committed to kids and students. We believe that children represent our greatest opportunity for the gospel. We believe kids and students are small enough to believe God is big enough. We believe the story of the Bible is about God using young people to accomplish things that are absolutely mind-blowing. Like a young boy who walked into the middle of an Israelite army that was paralyzed by a Philistine giant. And God said, I'm gonna use that boy. I'm gonna use that boy to do what I've called him to do. We believe that kids are small enough to believe that God can. And so here's the deal. We want to be a bridge for children, not a barrier. I'm gonna say it again. Here at Grace Church, we want to be a bridge, not a barrier. Many of you have and are being a bridge for children. I'll tell you why this is important. Just had a conversation with a guy. He was telling me about his church. I said, tell me about your church. He said, there's no children. Can you guys imagine a church with no children? That church is beginning to what? Die. Here's the deal. We wanna be a bridge for children. That's why we'll prioritize children. Many of you teach, invest your time. We don't do that just to give them something to do while the adults are up here. We take very serious what's going on. That's why we will unapologetically devote resources and finances to making sure that we can tell children about Jesus. And we dare not, dare not, let me say it again. Some of you have had this experience as a kid. We dare not become barriers. We dare not minimize children We dare not ignore children. You're saying, Dan, why? You just have a a big place in your heart for kids? No, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus in between. Here's what he says in Matthew 18. He called a little child to him. Can you picture this? Placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like this little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Sounds familiar? Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Sounds familiar? Verse six, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. I get the idea that Jesus really thinks this is important. I get the idea that, that, that he wants us as a church to say, kids matter and we'll move heaven and earth to make sure kids hear about and know about Jesus. That's why this week is so important. In fact, I wanna call out another group of you and have another word of prayer and then we're gonna slide home. All of you this week who's gonna volunteer in Bible camp. Anyway, cookies, parking, teaching, recreation, I want you to stand. I want everybody who's gonna help this week in Bible camp, don't be shy, I want you to stand. And then any of you in the room who help out in Power Kids, Junior Power Kids or the nursery, week in and week out, I want you to stand with them. Anybody who helps out, Power Kids, Junior Power Kids, Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to these folks and here's what I want you to know. Thank you. Thank you for investing your time this week and week in and week out to make sure kids hear about Jesus. There are gonna be kids who come this week and, and the stories they're coming from are gonna be unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
And my prayer for you is that they'll look in your eyes and maybe see Jesus for the first time. And so God, I pray for these people standing. Empower them, equip them, give them unbelievable compassion for these kids. Some of these people are gonna come this week and they're gonna be tired working a whole day and then they're gonna come and I pray that you'd help them to look right into these kids' eyes and see what you see and be able to love them and lead them and care for them as your representative to be able to bring them to Jesus. God, I am so, so grateful. I am so grateful that we have the opportunity to be able to invest in children. And I pray this week you'd use some of these people to point people to Jesus for the very first time. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Give these guys a big hand. Give them a big hand. I ain't done. Got one more thing, but I want you to look this way because I got to say something. I, I love you guys. I hope you believe that. I love you guys. Been, 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 been your campus pastor here for 11 years. I will tell you something that aches in my heart. I'm just going to be honest. Is I had everybody stand who works with children and there was one man. And I'm just going to share it with you. This is not make you feel bad. This is not, that's not it. I meet men in my office all the time that wish they had a man when they were a little child teach them and show them what it means to be a man and to love Jesus. I know, guys, I know. I'll stack my schedule up against yours any day. We're busy. You and I are busy. We got men things to do, man. I got it. If I'm reading this right, there's nothing more important. I'm not trying to guilt you into this. I'm, I'm, I'm like looking and I'm like, I, I'll celebrate when we got to celebrate, but I'm going to be honest with you when we got to be honest. We got to be honest. We had one guy stand. We need you. Like, I'm not picking. I'm not even mad at you. I'm just, I'm, we need you. Like, we need you. I'm not that good with little kids. You might be surprised. You know, because the kids... Expectation isn't all that high. <laughs> like, like, you give me a cookie? <laughs> we need you. Not picking. We need you. Sherry, would, would, if she was standing here with me, she's incredible. She is absolutely incredible. She'd say, will you please join me? We have, we have little boys coming and they have no one at home, no male figure at home leading them. We need you. So least the last thing and then I'm done. You're like, man, I'm glad, right? But I'm done, all right? <laughs> I was away for two weeks on vacation. I got a lot pent up, all right? Here's what I think it means, and I'll be quick about this. All to all of us, write this down. Let's do all we can to bring all kids to Jesus because all kids matter to God, not just the kids who are here every week. All kids matter to God, not just the kids who color inside the lines not just the kids who are easy to be around, even the kids who ride the skateboards in your cul-de-sac, make tons of noise in your neighborhood, even the kids who irritate the snot out of you. Those kids matter to God. I had a, a conversation and try to be general about it, but with, with a mom this last week, I think it was this last week, and she was telling me about her older kids. And 
they, they don't come to church with her and her husband. She was telling me about her daughter, and this just captured me because it, it broke my heart. She was saying, you know, they had some church experiences and people were barriers, not bridges. And they don't go anywhere. And she said, I think my daughter really loves Jesus and wants to learn about God, but my daughter has some challenges, that's what she said. She's autistic. And she said, it really makes it hard for her to make friends. And I said, who are her friends? She doesn't really have many friends. And I looked at her and I said, man, I'd love for your daughter to come. And I gave her something I wanted her to come to. And I said, I'd love for her to come. I said, she would really benefit. She needs this. And the mom's like, yeah. I said, but listen to me. Listen close. I said, she needs this and we need her. We need her. And she looked at me and she said this. No one has ever said that to me about my kid before. All kids matter to Jesus. Everybody grab your program and get this card and we're done. Aiden, you can let Sherry know I'm done in about two seconds. Everybody grab your program, grab this card. Everybody find it, grab this card. Everybody grab your card, place it in your hands just like this. And I want you to stand with me. Place it in your hands just like this when you get your card and stand with me. If you don't have a card, pretend you do. (laughs) Sammy. If you don't have a card, there's some on the table back here downstairs, okay? Because God, here we stand with this card between our hands, and it's not just ink and card stock. It represents the life of a kid who his or her life could be changed forever as a result of somehow engaging what we want to talk to them about this week. And so I'm asking you with this card between your hands, I'm asking God to bring a child to your mind right now, a child that runs up and down your street, a child in your family, a child that has irritated the snot out of you. I don't even care who it is. Bring that kid's face to your mind. And God, would you give us the courage to take this card to that kid, give us the opportunity, give us the reason, give us the passion, give us the heart of Jesus so that somehow that child might hear about Jesus. And God, if they're not sure how they'll get here, help us to be the bridge and not a barrier. Help us to be creative, to find a way to get them to Jesus because we believe they matter to you and they're never gonna be more like a child than when they're a child. And so I pray that you would help us to take this card and deliver it to somebody who needs Jesus this evening sometime. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.